Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Awesome. Well, hey, guys, my name is Colin. In case you were wondering who this bald guy was uh, shaking hands with all the graduates, uh, I'm the student pastor here, so it's fitting, right? <laughs> you think I wouldn't be surprised, but every time y'all yell for me and it surprises me. So, hey, uh, I want to take this opportunity to say uh, welcome. Glad that you're here. Uh, and I really believe uh, that you are in the right place this morning. You could have been anywhere else, um, but you're here. And I think God's going to honor that. I believe that God has a word for you today. And uh, we uh, are, are so thrilled that you're here. And so if you're visiting with us for the first time, again, I want to reiterate what Pastor Nick said. We, we want to hear from you. Uh, we consider you VIP. We, we want to know uh, that, that you are here so that we can connect with you. We can answer any questions that you have. So if you do me a favor and text BTVIP to 97,000, one of our staff will be able to contact you this week and just follow up. Uh, but we're not just meeting here, as you saw in our video. We're meeting at multiple locations across uh, the South Texas region um, and the world. And so church here in McAllen, what I would like for you to do is to make some noise as we welcome our online campus. Can you all give it up for our online campus? Awesome. You know, we, we've been able to talk in the recent recent weeks about uh, just the faithfulness of God as he has shown his love and, and done a move like no other uh, in this place. And we have gotten to celebrate so many salvations and so many baptisms. And I believe that this is kind of the catalyst, I shouldn't say kind of, but I believe that this is the catalyst for, for some major change in our region. I'm trusting that God is doing a work here that he intends to take forward. And so I cannot reiterate enough, I'm so glad that you're here. There's so much to be thankful to God about. Now, we, we're in a series. We're uh, four weeks into our series called Next is Now, and we're studying the book of Joshua, and we're really learning that to see God move in our next, we have to be faithful in the now. And I think it's a fitting time for us to celebrate our, our graduates as they are stepping out of what they have known for the last 12 years or for our, our college graduates, the four, four to eight years. They've been toiling away, going after things, setting their eyes on their goals. Uh, and let's be honest, like, to do that requires a lot of struggle sometimes, right? And that struggle at this point has paid off. They get to kind of turn the corner now and, and to, to uh, uh, set their sights on some new things. But as amazing as that is, I hate to be the guy to pop the uh, graduation balloons already. But there's obstacles around the corner too. There are struggles around the corner. Now, I think if we were to just take a poll, which we won't do, uh, if we were to ask everybody in this room if they had a struggle or an obstacle to overcome this week, I'm willing to bet that everybody had at least one. Obstacles are inevitable. The question for us is, how do we overcome obstacles? And that question kind of frames our minds around our text today. We're going to come up against a familiar passage. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 1 through 21. And this is going to be a familiar story to some of us. We're talking about the walls of Jericho and, and the things that God commanded his people to do. But I, I want to draw attention as you turn there to the fact that, that God's people were entering into the promised land. Something that God had set aside for them, not just in the recent history, but for generations. So many of God's promises, starting with Abraham, pointed to a time when God would give them a place to be his people. And here they are after wandering for generations. Right at the edge. Turning the corner 
to their land, to their promise. And as they turn that corner, the corner for them is the Red, I mean, the, the, the Jordan River. God miraculously delivered them out of the wilderness into their land. But in order to receive the promise, they had this major monumental obstacle to overcome, and that was this city called Jericho. So as we read today, I want to ask you to keep that question in mind. How do I overcome obstacles? Now let's, let's read Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. The word of the Lord says this. Now Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites. No one leaving or entering. And the Lord said to Joshua, look, I have handed Jericho its king and its best soldiers over to you. Now march around the city with all the men of war circling the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven rams, horn trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow their trumpets. When there is a prolonged blast on the horn and you hear its sound, have all the troops give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will collapse and the, and the troops will advance each man straight ahead. And so Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant and have seven priests Carry seven trumpets in front of the ark of the Lord. And he said to the troops, move forward, march around the city, and have the armed men go ahead of the ark of the Lord. And after Joshua spoke to the troops, seven priests carrying seven trumpets before the Lord moved forward and blew the trumpets. The ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. And while the trumpets were blowing, the armed men went in, in, front, went in front of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard went behind the ark. But Joshua had commanded the troops, do not shout or let your voice be heard. Do not let one word come out of your mouth until I say, until the time I say, shout. Then you are to shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the city, circling it once. And they returned to the camp and spent the night there. And Joshua got up early the next morning. And the priests took the ark of the Lord and the seven priests carrying seven trumpets marched in front of the ark of the Lord. And while the trumpets were blowing, the armed men went in front of them and the rear guard went behind the ark of the Lord. And on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. And they did this for six days. And early on the seventh day, they started at dawn and marched around the city seven times in the same way. And that was the only day they marched around the city seven times. And after the seventh time, the priests blew the trumpets, and Joshua said to the troops, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, but the city and everything in it are set apart to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and everyone with her in the house will, will live because she hid the messengers we sent. But keep yourselves from the things set apart, or you will be set apart for destruction. And if you take any of those things, you will be set apart, or you will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and make trouble for it. For all the silver and gold, the articles of bronze and iron are dedicated to the Lord and must go into the Lord's treasury. And so the troops shouted, and the trumpet sounded, and when they heard the blast of the trumpet, the troops gave a great shout, and the wall collapsed. And the troops advanced into the city, each man straight ahead, and they captured the city. They completely destroyed everything in the city with the sword, every man and woman, both young and old, and every ox, sheep, and donkey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, and God, we're thankful to be in your house today. Lord, we pray that as we open up your word, God, we, we trust that you are present, Lord, but we, we, we trust, Lord, that your spirit is moving through this place. Lord, would you use your word to correct us, to rebuke us, to reprove us, to encourage us, to edify us, to be faithful people of yours. Lord, undoubtedly, there are obstacles that seem insurmountable. 
in our lives. And Lord, I pray that even in this moment, as we think on those things, I pray that we would be able to turn those things over to you, trusting God that you are faithful. Lord, we love you so much, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 21 verses. It's a lot of reading. So what we're going to do is we're going to take it one by one today. No, not really. That's going to be a long time. It's a lot of reading. I got out of breath like a few times, okay? But uh, what we are going to do is we're going to kind of move through these major sweeps, and I'll just break it down, right? We see really that, that there's this problem, and uh, in the face of this problem, God offers a solution, but his solution comes in the form of military strategy. And if you're paying attention, you'll realize that that strategy doesn't sound much like a military, military strategy at all. Really what it sounds like is they're just going around marching and playing music around a city they want to destroy. It doesn't seem very smart. But what we see at the end that is important for us today is that God is faithful to keep his promises. So whenever we uh, ask our question, how do I overcome obstacles? We need to start with the belief that God is faithful. And if God is faithful, that means that our first step in overcoming obstacles is fellowship with our faithful God. So if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write that down, right? I want us to look at it. Really, the first or it's the second verse, we see that, that after they recognize that Jericho is strongly fortified, we see the Lord says something to Joshua. Can I just encourage you really quick? As we think about overcoming obstacles, we need to understand that God has something to say about our obstacles. I think sometimes what we try to do is we, we try not to concern God with the things that we're going through. But I want to remind you what Joshua probably had to remind the Israelites at this time, that, that God has gone before us to prepare a place for us. What he's calling us to do is to listen to him. Listen, uh, a fellowship is necessary to overcome obstacles. And I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, okay, I've got a great team around me. I can make this happen. We can, we can do this thing. It'll be just fine, right? Oh, but, but I want to I say something about that. Like When we say fellowship, it's not about jumping onto the varsity team. It's not jumping onto uh, the executive team. When we talk about fellowship, I'm not talking about surrounding, your, surrounding yourself with the right people. Though the right people are important, what we need to understand that overcoming is that overcoming obstacles starts with fellowship with God. God has something to say about what you're going through. Why, you ask? Because God cares about his people. God cares about his people enough to get involved and stay involved in their lives. And the Israelites have experienced that at this point. They can think back to the promise that God gave to Abraham to bless him, to make his descendants outnumber the stars, to give them a place. And later in, uh, we see God give uh, a call to Moses. Uh, Moses looks at what God has in store for him and says, I'm going there. I'm going to lead your people out of slavery and oppression into the promised land. But in order to get there, they had to walk through deserts, walk through a sea, right? But God miraculously parted those things. Listen, God is interested in his people because he cares about his people, and he cares about his people enough to get involved and stay involved. But something happened with Moses in the desert. The people of God got unfaithful. They began to look at their problems and think that there was no way that God could, could fulfill his promises. And so they were forced to wander a desert for 40 years, none of which were going to be able to see the promise that God had given them. And right before Joshua comes into the picture to take leadership, 
of God's people. Their leader, Moses, died. Their leader, Moses, who led them out of slavery and oppression, who led them through the, the sea, who led them through the desert, who helped them see what God had in store for them. This leader died, but listen, the promise of God did not die with Moses. And we see Joshua pick up the mantle, anointed by God to do so. And here he is carrying out the promise, the call of God, because God cares enough to get involved and stay involved. Listen, God doesn't duck tail and run when our obstacles come at us. He's not afraid of our situations. He's not intimidated by our situations. He's invested in his people, and he confronts our obstacles. But we got to do that with God. And I look at, at verses 6 and 1. We said that the Lord said to Joshua, listen, Joshua had to hear from God. And I know that, that Joshua knew the voice of God because Joshua spent time faithfully, personally, and intentionally with the Lord. That's a tough thing to do with God sometimes. Because we can't audibly hear the voice of God all the time. You can't look at God like you're looking at me. It, 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 we start to kind of experience this tension in our relationship because sometimes talking with God, having fellowship with God, feels like we're having fellowship with the wall. But the reality is just because it feels that way does not mean that that's the actual reality. And what I love is that in order to hear the voice of God about what comes next, uh, Joshua had cultivated that relationship with God in a way that had prepared him to discern the voice of God through all the intimidation factors, through all the obstacles that lay in front of him. Joshua didn't look at the city in front of him and shrink back. What he did is he drew close to the Lord to hear the Lord's instruction. The Lord has something to say to us as we approach obstacles. But we know that he did that because he talked with God personally, faithfully, and intentionally. So I ask you the question, do you have fellowship with God? Do you, do you hear from God? <laughs> and you might be, well, pastor, my CG is the best around. Like I, I've got amazing people in my corner, men of God, women of God in my corner fighting for me, petitioning, faithfully doing those things because just in the way that the scripture testifies, I do those things. Some others of us may, may be saying like, well, pastor, if you could see my theological library, you would know just how serious I am about following God. I love God. And some others of us are like, hey, pastor, listen, every day when I get in my car to go to work, I turn on the latest and greatest Christian podcast and man, it speaks to me. God speaks to me. I feel edified. I feel encouraged. The rest of us are probably like, man, I don't listen to that filth on the radio. KVMV is my love language. And it's faith, hope, and love. And God speaks to me. And listen, I have no doubt that God can speak to us through those things. But I want to draw our attention to something. The question is not, do you have fellowship with a radio station, a podcast, or a set of books? Do you have fellowship with God? And are you listening to God? Because God has something to say about the obstacles that you're facing. Now listen, um, my wife and I, Selena, we, we celebrate our 10-year anniversary this year. Amazing, I know. You see her, you see just how low she sank, right? Like, it is, she had to set the bar super low to get me, right? No, uh, she's amazing, like amazing. She, she really is very special. And, and, and as we've been... Uh, uh, 
you know, planning for our 10-year wedding anniversary and thinking about what that's going to look like for us this year. Uh, we also got to a point this week where we stopped and, and, and we just sat in our, our home with our two, our two boys, our four-year-old and a 10-week-old, I think. And, and uh, I, I said I think because, you know, it's parents, we lose track of time after what, day, hour six, I don't know. But um, we were talking, she just said like, who would have thought that at our first interaction that this is what would happen? And I'll be the first to tell you, not me. And it's because I remember when she walked into this place, and, and, and I'm, I'm not kidding. She's not in the room that I know of, like, so I'm not buttering her up. But, like, the most beautiful person I've ever seen in my life. And, and I mean, it was one of those where I saw her. I knew there was something special about her. And I thought, she's way out of my league. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hang out in this corner over here with my friends and not interact with her. True story. True story. But you know what I did do? I got to creep in a little bit. I don't endorse this. But uh, uh, my, my friend Nate is a, a common friend of ours. And so I went to Nate. And I said, hey, who is that? He said, well, that's Selena. I said, well, tell me, tell me about her, Nate. Well, she really loves family. She loves to read. She, uh, she loves animals. She plays drums in a punk band. True story. She will deny it, but it's a true story. You can ask her. I have evidence, okay? But uh, she, she does all these things, and I'm just, imme- the more he talks, the more I'm just like, like, this girl is amazing. Like, how? Like, there's no chance. But I was interested, right? And I kept asking my friend Nate uh, over the, the course of, the, uh, of a few weeks. And a few weeks later, he says to me, hey, Colin, I think that she's into you, man. I know, guys. <laughs> my heart sank to my, the tips of my toes. And, and uh, at that point, though, I had a choice to make. It was pursue a relationship or stay creeping. And I'm happy to tell you today that as it turns out, she's in, she, she was and is into me. <laughs> and here we are all these years later, still in love. But I want you to imagine with me for a second. Imagine I take the other option. She's into me, but I'm just like, man, she's out of my league, which is still true, but whatever. And so, but I choose instead to say, I'm going to hang out over here, and I'm going to keep asking Nate about her. Hey, Nate. How's she doing in school? What are her grades like? What's she studying? Psychology? Oh, that's cool. Is she, she must be really smart. She is very smart. Oh, she went on a date with somebody? That's awesome. I just hope she's happy. Does she enjoy it? What did, did, they, did they, they eat dinner? What did they eat? Does she enjoy that? Did they get dessert? What's her favorite dessert? Like, can, can we stop? Like, how bizarre would that be? Like, I can't expect a date out of that. But what I can expect is probably a restraining order and one pretty quickly <laughs> at that point. Listen, what I'm trying to get at, though, is it's unhealthy to try to have a healthy relationship vicariously through somebody else. You can't have a healthy relationship with somebody that you don't invest in personally, intentionally, and faithfully. So the, I, I think that the problem for our fellowship, maybe one of the problems for our fellowship, is not that we don't love God because we love God. But I think the problem might be that we may only be hearing about God from people who have real relationship and fellowship with him. Fellowship with your friends, your podcasts, your devotional books, while helpful and good, are a terrible substitute for a relationship with the Lord. 
You see, we rid ourselves of the blessing of fellowship when we live vicariously through the fellowship that others have with God. God has made himself knowable. God has shown himself to be interested. God wants to know you. He's invested in your life. He desires your best. God wants to know you. He wants you to know him. God cares enough about you and the rest of his people to get involved in your life and stay involved. My question is this. Do you have fellowship with God? How do you overcome obstacles? You have to start with fellowship with God. Don't take your problems anywhere else but to the throne of God. Submit those things to him and listen to what God has to say. Because listen, God has something to say about what you're going through. So how do we do that? Because obstacles come. We trust that God never runs from our obstacles. God has something to say about our obstacles. Are you listening? I hope so. What I would encourage you to do is if you're not listening, start today. If the next is now, we prepare for what God has next for us by starting now. You can start to develop a relationship with God today. And it starts simple with things like prayer. I think about what Jesus has to say in John 15, 4 and 5. He says, remain in me and I in you, just as the branch is unable to produce fruit uh, by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. That's fellowship language. Then he goes on to say, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. That's Jesus' words, not mine. But that's the solution. Fellowship with God is the solution to overcoming our obstacles. Are you listening to God? I would encourage you to develop the habit of prayer. And I'll echo what a priest from the 80s said. He said that the core of all prayer is indeed listening. You see, I think what happens sometimes is is when we pray, we like to tell God about how big Jericho is and how fortified it is. And tell God just how impossible it is. We spend so much time talking that we don't open up our ears to listen to what God might have to say about those things. I want to say really quick that God might see the things that you see as impossible, but God doesn't see them as impossible. He sees through what you perceive as possible, and he sees the promise. So when God gives you a promise, do not stop at impossible. Have fellowship with the Lord. Prayer is going to be so important to us, and God has given us all that we need to hear from him in the form of his word. Everything that we need to to test the things that are going on in front of us are found right here because it's not ink on a page. It's all scripture is God-breathed. It has the essence of God within it. And what we find in this, and this is based out of God's word that testifies about God's word, it says all scripture is inspired by God and it is profitable for teaching for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that every man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you know what you need when you're facing obstacles? You need to be equipped to overcome them. And you don't find what you're looking for anywhere else but in fellowship with God. I would encourage you to get with God in prayer and get with God in his word. The second point is this, fellowship. If fellowship is necessary to overcome obstacles, then the natural follow-up to that is fellowship. And what I mean by that is really obedience, right? Because a solid fellowship with God will result in fellowship. And and I'll just ask you really quick, do you have a problem with obedience? I do. I mean, I guess we could say it depends on who's asking, right? If my four-year-old tells me to do something, I'm probably going to say no, right? If my wife asks me to do something, yes, ma'am, right away, ma'am, right? (laughs) 
But here's the reality. Most of us, if we're honest, we, we have problem, problems with obedience because we know better. I was talking with some of my family this week, and I'm not going to put this on my parents. It's more my, my siblings, but myself included. Uh, we don't like to be wrong. And I'm just going to tell you right now, if you ever hear a road trammel say, I know, we don't know. Okay, we, we are just too proud to admit that we need help because we don't know what we're doing. But we're confident in ourselves to be able to figure it out. Case in point, I spent a lot of time this week working on my sprinkler system at home. And I did what any sane person would do. I called up the expert and I said, hey, I have no idea what's going on here. Can you please come and help me out? That's not what I did at all. I went to the ever-reliable YouTube and found the next closest thing that looked like my sprinkler system. And I navigated those videos, kind of. I mostly kind of watched and just fast forward to the parts I thought would help me. And what that did for me is that led me to work on the wrong leaky valve, to make a trip to Lowe's to purchase the wrong parts, to go back home and end up muddy with a still unfunctioning sprinkler system and a few wasted hours. You see, I wanted, I wanted the answers. I just didn't want to follow the plan. I thought I could do it myself. You see, I have a problem with obedience from time to time. And I'm going to say, you know, even as we think about college graduates or high school graduates too, my experience in college was not wonderful initially because I didn't want to go to class. True story. I nearly flunked out of college in my first year because I did not want to go to class. And I remember showing up, uh, up to my academic advisor and he said, hey, if you want to succeed, here's what I need for you. Or here's what I need for you to do. You know what I did? Not that. And it didn't work out. Now, I grew up, thankfully, right? Ended up graduating with honors, everybody. We're fine, right? God is good, right? But that's been a long time ago. Um, but here's the reality. Here's the reality, right? I have a problem with obedience. Even from the experts, I don't want to hear it. But I want us to understand something. When it comes to fellowship with God and overcoming obstacles, obedience is a non-negotiable. And I think about what a life of fellowship looks like as it results in fellowship obedience, right? We need to understand that fellowship is apprentice language. That's discipleship language. I think about Jesus calling his first disciples. He says, hey, drop your nets and follow me. What he's saying is drop everything you know. Drop your way of income. Drop the way you support your family. Leave all that behind. Come with me, and I'm going to show you how to live. But what that required of them was to sacrifice everything that they know in favor of learning from the one who created life. They had to leave. They had to set their egos aside, set their agendas aside, set their plans aside in order to pursue the one who could lead them to life. Fellowship is apprentice language. It's the language of, yes, sir, right away, sir, even if it doesn't make sense, sir. And in our, our passage, we see God give some instructions that don't make a lot of sense if we're just being honest. If you think about going to fight with a fortified city, you're not taking trumpets. You're not taking priests. But that's what God called his people to do, isn't it? Now, why do you think that is? I mean, let's think about it, right? It's a fortified, fortified enemy. And the strategy is to go march. Take some trumpets. Take some, some uh, take the altar, uh, the 
take the Ark of the Covenant, excuse me, throw some priests in the mix, and it almost sounds like it's a bad uh, prescription, right? Take one, go march around once, come back and tell me how it goes. And do that six days, and then we'll figure it out. Like That's kind of what it sounds like. It sounds like it's actually a pretty poor military strategy. So we have to ask ourselves, like, what is God doing here? Was he just trying to, like, test the, the Canaanites in Jericho? Was he trying to, to just scope them out to figure out what's going on? Is he trying to posture? Is he trying to intimidate them? What's he trying to do? Trying to hulk up his power? Uh, listen, why would God have this strategy for a first battle of the promised land? Because, listen, we, we know that the creator of all things, our God, who breathed everything we know into existence, could have easily breathed those walls out of existence. He could have. But it makes no sense for him to give, to give them literal marching orders. But maybe it's not about the walls to begin with. God was telling Joshua, follow me. I have a plan. Trust me. We're going to secure your victory. All of what you see, that city, the king, its mighty men, all that belongs to me. Do you trust me enough to follow me to secure your victory? You see, sometimes God asks for our yes just to show us that he can be trusted. No battering rams, no siege ramps, no scaling ladders, no bows, no arrows or spears. Conventional weapons were unnecessary because God had a better plan. And so God gave specific instructions to Joshua that were to be obeyed to the letter. Marching, trumpets, priests, Ark of the Covenant, and a loud shout. And what do we find? But God being faithful to his word, the walls of Jericho fell. The obstacles in front of them were overcome. I'm going to tell you, I, I think that obedience is necessary, but it's a missing ingredient for a lot of us. Because we want to trust God when it's convenient, but when things get hard, it gets really hard to trust that God really means what he says. But I think what, what we, can take, we can take away from this is that God requires obedience to unlock his promise. And what that should do is fly in the face of the practices of our generations, of our culture that say, hey, if you want to get better, here's the latest and greatest self-help book that you can take on. And if you read it and just apply these principles, then you can do it. By golly, you've got it in you. But listen, the best self-help strategies can't help you secure a promise from God. Because if you're helping yourself, you will find that you lack the power to pull off supernatural victories. And you lack the perspective to see what only God can see. And when it comes to overcoming obstacles, what I would challenge you with today, and this is encouraging, is to appeal to the strategies of God, not the strategies of men. And listen, God wants to speak into your situation. Appeal to him. Go to him. Listen for what he has to say. Because God alone, God alone supplies the power to find his promise. You see, what fellowship does for us is it gives us the partnership with God. What fellowship does is it gives us the plan. But having fellowship and, and, and fellowship without faith is a plan without power. We have to believe in what God says that he is doing. So that leads us to our third point, and that is faith in God. If fellowship leads to fellowship, your fellowship is at its best when it's exercised in faith. It's the faith 
to follow God. Now listen, I'll be honest with you. It's tough to follow God when you aren't listening to him or for him. And a solid prayer life will result in fellowship, but fellowship will require faith. Listen, every day, these people had to wake up and wait on God's instruction. Now, Joshua got it. Joshua got the instructions. But as we understand it here, as we can understand it here, is, is every day, Joshua just give them the next step until the plan was fulfilled. They didn't have to have the whole big picture in order to make moves. They had to trust in God every day, every waking moment. Every day they received their instructions, and every day their faith was tested. But I love this. Joshua didn't meet up with God and start giving excuses. See, God spoke, and Joshua got to work. See, what, what do you think? I mean, just put yourself in the story if you can. Like, What do you think the Israelites are feeling at this point in time? Like, like, God, I see where you've brought me. I've seen what you've done for generations. I see that your promise is in fulfillment. But, God, we turned a corner, and there's another obstacle. God, can we just please, why? And you want us to march around a city? God, what if, what if the people of Jericho just start raining down arrows on us? We can't defend ourselves from that. What if they're setting up a, a, a sting operation on the other side of the wall away from our camp. What if, what if this thing doesn't work? What if we get killed in the process? What if after six days I'm just tired and I give up? I'm going to tell you, church, and allow me to project myself onto you as my problem, okay? Man, I am full of what ifs when things seem impossible. It's those hypotheticals. Well, I, I just... I know that God might be calling me to do this, but what if it doesn't work out? Or what if God doesn't come through? Or what if my finances fail? Or what if I'm misunderstanding God? Listen, our what ifs are a problem. And the problem with our what ifs is that we are always, always relying on our own understanding of our obstacles. I think that what ifs breed excuses. I think that what-ifs immobilize faith. I think that what-ifs make us forget God's promises. I think that what-ifs make us forget God's faithfulness. I think what-ifs make us forget God's sovereignties. Listen, your what-ifs cannot stop a move of God, but they can't stop you. Do not submit to your what-ifs. Instead, I think about this, one of the most encouraging scriptures that we can memorize. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your Heart, not mind. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord. Have faith in the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding. You lack the divine perspective over your obstacle to come out victorious. You lack the divine power to overcome your obstacles as victorious. But when you trust in the Lord with all your heart and refuse to give in to your own understanding, but you commit to him in all your ways, he is the one who makes your paths straight. Fellowship, fellowship and faith are tried and tested tools in overcoming obstacles. And when we try to fight by conventional means, we will fall. I think about the people in Israel. They had to march by faith. They had to play their trumpets by faith. They had to walk out each and every day by faith and then eventually shout a cry of victory by faith. 
And Hebrews 11.30 tells us this, that it was by faith that the walls of Jericho fell. Faith is a non-negotiable in overcoming obstacles. And after people had marched around them for seven days, the walls fell. The first battle in the promised land was a battle of faith. Not military might, not the best commanding strategy. It was a battle of faith. And God remained faithful. And as I, I reflected back on God's strategy, it's actually not that crazy. I mean, it doesn't make sense by military standards. But God doesn't operate in our ways. His ways are higher. His ways are better. And what we can find is that God's, God's, uh, God's strategy was about evoking and provoking faithfulness in his people. And I want us to think about this, right? They take the, the Ark of the Covenant to go march around the walls. You know what the Ark of the Covenant is? It's the presence of God amongst his people. So as God calls people to step out in faith, his promise is to go with them. That means that as you step out to overcome your obstacles it, by faith, if you are following the Lord's leadership on that, God is going with you. You have no reason to fear. The other thing is this. He also sends out priests and horns. And they're, they're blowing through these horns. And they're going about and they're making all this noise again, which is a weird military strategy. You don't want people to know that you're coming. But they went using these trumpets that had a special designation and feasts and celebrations used by the people of Israel to mark the faithfulness and providence of God. So as the Israelites are marching around these cities, they're marching in worship. They're marching knowing that God is a God who is faithful to his promises, that he's going to take them exactly where he needs them to go. They just need to give him their yes. And then they walk around seven times over the course of seven days with seven trumpets and seven other things, right? Seven priests. And that, that seven in the Old Testament is used a lot to signify a complete and whole work. You see, what God was calling his people to do He's calling them to move by faith until his work is complete. They could have easily on day four just decided, I'm not doing this anymore. It is ineffective. That's unfaithfulness. But they stayed with it until God fulfilled what he promised to fulfill. It completed. I want to tell you today that God's promises await the faithful ones. God spoke, Joshua listened, and the people responded. God moved, and God gave. He gave them things to, to store up in God's, uh, um, in, into the Lord's treasury. God was faithful to complete what he started, but it required people's fellowship with God, their fellowship with God, and their faith in God to be accomplished. So how do you overcome obstacles? That's it. Fellowship, fellowship, and faith in God. I want to draw attention to something really quick, and, and it makes people a little uncomfortable. If we read verse 21, it feels ugly, I'll be honest. We see that these people went in just as God had called them to do, 
But they went in and they completely destroyed everything in the city with the sword. And it gives us descriptions. It says every man and woman, young and old, every ox and sheep and donkey. It's a tough lesson. It feels really weird in our culture to talk through those things and to think that that's something that God would command. Now listen, the thing is, is I think it, it necessarily creates some tensions in our understanding of who God is as a gracious God, as a merciful God, as a loving God, as an invested God, as a God who is 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 giving us his promises and securing our victories, right? We love that side of God, but also what we see is in verses like this, we see the judgment of God and it just feels like it doesn't mix. But I want us to understand that what this passage does for us is it displays God's judgment, yes, but it also displays God's grace in the same breath in that he spared Rahab the prostitute. The reason he did that is because the testimony of God and his people had gone out. The reason Jericho was fortified is because they had heard about God and his people, and they knew that they were in imminent danger. Now, Rahab knew as a part of that city, and her response was to repent and believe. She showed faith, and her faith secured her a place in the promise of God. And we see in the Gospels that it secured her a place in the lineage of Jesus. Faith can change things around, but listen, let's not miss this. To refuse faith is to accept judgment. Rahab heard the testimony about God and his people. She repented. The city did not. The city was trusting in its own ability to fortify away from God. I want to encourage you today and tell you that you cannot fortify your life away from the Lord. Judgment ensued. And, it's, and it might make us feel like, well, I don't like that. I don't have to believe that. We want to believe in this God. He's vengeful. He's not vengeful. He's just. He gives grace of every opportunity that we see. Every time we see judgment in scriptures, God has always preceded it and followed it up with grace and mercy. We need to be careful with that. We need to understand that God is serious about his promises. And maybe, maybe when we feel like we don't like that, we need to be careful about our feelings. Chasing our feelings can make us unfaithful because our feelings can deceive us and make us liable to judgment. I think about what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. He says in verse 21, about people who have given into their feelings. He says, for they knew God. They did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were dark and claiming to be wise, they became fools. And therefore God delivered them over to the desires of their heart. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they might do, uh, they might do what is not right. Verse 32 tells us that although they did, although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they even applaud others who practice them. Listen, the sins of the Canaanites were against God and susceptible to judgment. God is serious about his promises. But there's a solution to all that. It's called faith. You know, the reality is we're all going to come across those sorts of obstacles. We're all going to endure some hard times in life. And there will be times where we shrink back and feel like, man, I just can't do this. But the invitation stands 
today as it stood then. Come to me, let your, your, your request be made known to me, and I will supply you with answers, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. When we bring our obstacles to God, lay them at his feet, we will find that God offers solutions. But listen, it happens in, in the way of fellowship. So as we get into next steps, I'll challenge you. What's your fellowship look like? What's your time with God look like? Real simple question is, is prayer with God a first response or a last resort? When stuff gets hard, do you try to work it out in your own strength before you take it to the Lord? I would encourage you, just practice it. Take it to the Lord first. Find that he's interested. Find that he's available. Find that he wants to speak into your problem. The other side of this is also let God in. When you take it to the Lord, you don't just throw it at him from a distance. You, you let him into the mess. He offers solutions. He wants to fix it from the inside out. And if you need help with fellowship, we, we're, we've created ways here internally in the church to make sure that we're not doing this alone. We have our Pathways courses, and I would encourage you to sign up as they start even Wednesday. We had our first class on Sunday mornings this morning during our 9 o'clock service. But at 6.30 here on Wednesday, you can sign up for our Pathways course to find out ways to have fellowship with the Lord. I, and again, follow, uh, follow up your fellowship with fellowship. It's a tongue twister, right? Fellowship's obedience. Step out in baptism. Step out in obedience in the form of baptism. Let the world know the work that God has done in your life. Take it public. Let God know. I mean, let the world know that God has taken you from death to life, that you have repented and you have believed, that you have decided to follow Jesus here, now, and forever. And I promise as you do that, you will watch as God uses that testimony that he has done in your life to challenge people around you, to encourage them to step out in faith and fellowship. If you need to follow up with baptism, we'd love to do that with you today. But also, fellowship is not just something that you do one time and forget about it. Fellowship is about how you're obedient with every part of your life. I challenge you to evaluate your, your time, your treasures, and your talents. You see, when we step out in obedience to God, we surrender it all to God. We know that God secures the victory, and that means that God gets the first fruits, not the leftovers. Are you giving God leftovers, or are you trusting Him with the first fruits? And when it comes to talents, I'd say this to you. God's not just interested in modifying your behavior. He's invested in who you are as a person. He wants to develop you. God has given you unique gifts to glorify his name and to build his kingdom. So if you need to know what that looks like, we can talk about it. In just a minute, we're going to have altar ministers coming up front and and you could talk with them about some next steps to get connected in pathways and to, and to, to follow up with what, what it means to serve God and fellowship with your, your talents and your treasures. But ultimately, what you need to understand is it all requires faith. And the, the, the call to faith is pretty simple. I think about what John the Baptist did in preparation for Jesus' arrival. He went out preaching this gospel to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. God is here. He's changing lives, but it's going to require you to change your way of thinking. You need to set your attention and your affections on the Christ who came to set you straight, the God who secures your victory, who takes you into the promised land beyond the obstacles. If you need to make that decision today, I want to challenge you to give your life to the Lord today. I want to give you an opportunity to do that today.
So what I'm going to ask everybody to do is to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you want to give your life to the Lord today, I'm going to invite you to recite this prayer with me. And it's, it's not, it's not um, magic. It's not, it's not twisting God's arm to, to save you. But it is a step of faith that you are taking to trust that God is interested in saving your life. And so what I challenge you to do is to repeat this prayer after me. If you want to give your life to Jesus, you can just say, Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I ask, you to, I ask you for forgiveness. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe you rose from the dead. I turn from my sins, and I invite you to come into my life. I want to trust you. I want to follow you. You are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.